1: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast, Dead Zone of the Winter Edition. I am Brian Joyner, here with Over the Monster site manager, Dan Secatore.
0: Dan, how are you? Brian, I'm doing good. For the second week in a row, I'm recording a podcast while some beautiful atmospheric snow is falling out the window. Not sticking again, because we haven't really had any snow stick, except for like an inch last week. But uh, it's, you know... I'm always of the opinion that if you're going to live in a cold place in the winter, you might as well get snow. If you don't have to drive, and if you don't have to shovel and and I live in a, in a urban enough environment where I don't have to drive if I don't need to. and, And I have a tiny little driveway then like, what's the downside of snow? That's my take. I
1: agree with you. And I'm jealous because once again, just a few hundred miles to the Southwest, We have what would appear to be a dreary mid-November day. Mm. No snow. Have you guys had any snow yet? In January on Saturday, we had an hour or so of heavy flurries. Mm. That is all we've had in January. And we had one, like, four, three, four-inch snowstorm in December. But that's it
0: yeah we're really getting we're getting robbed here because you know what you know what sucks about this too actually it's not that it's not just that we're being robbed of a winter but this this mediocre winter steals some of the the drama of spring as well you know like i only have random 60 degrees in days in january like when they eventually come somewhat consistently in march like you you don't you don't care as much about them you're not as excited Well, see, the only
1: reason I'm inclined to disagree is that the new weather patterns uh, that have emerged in the last few years uh, have seen, especially in New York, these tremendous March Mm snowstorms. And it doesn't seem like it'll happen again and then it just happens again because, oh, it's March. It's not going to happen. It just keeps happening. So it's like we get especially here, more so than there, where it's colder, we get like five months of dreary fall and then winter packed into one very oddly placed uh, section of March. Then the spring starts and it's a little disappointing for the same reason you say, but because the days are colder than they were two months ago, inexplicably. So this is, but again, This is the dead zone. And that's why today's podcast is not going to stick to the Red Sox, but we will start with the Red Sox. We'll start with the website to be specific. Dan. What's a little housekeeping at the top? A little add-in. the website.
0: Um, all right. Well, just to, to keep you updated, so you call this the dead zone. Um, but the Red Sox have actually signed three players this week, which is, I was
1: gonna get to that.
0: I was gonna yeah. get to that so other than the other than the winter meetings. This has maybe been the most active week. Um, so yeah, so we got some good set for, for the new signings, which we'll get into in the pod Adam Duvall, Jorge Alfaro, and Raymel Tapia. Um, We've got Meet the New Guy articles for all those guys up uh, if you want to read a little bit um, about those guys. Um, And then this morning um, on Friday, depending on when you're listening to this Friday, um, we've got a a new headline article from our friend Fitzy Mopena. The delightful Twitter account of Red Sox first baseman Tristan Casas. Brian, have you experienced Tristan Casas' Twitter feed yet? No, I've seen
1: this and I plan to read the article, but I do want to note that I remembered that in addition to Mrs. Secatore and Mr. Joyner, Mr. Casas's birthday
0: is also January 15th. Was it really? I missed that. Oh my goodness. All right. Um, Yeah, you should check out both the article and then you should, I mean, yeah, you actually, if you read the article, you don't then need to go into his Twitter feed because Fitzy combed through like 10 years worth of tweets for the purpose of this. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, if Casas is, is any good at all, and all indications that we saw from last year are that he's going to be, um, he is going, this is, he is going to be a massive, massive fan favorite in Boston. He really, really is. Um, he's just, he just seems like a real dude. You know, he really does. And he's not afraid to try and be funny. Um, he's not afraid to, 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 he's not afraid to try and be cocky. Down there, um, I'm—I don't know—I'm pretty excited. Where where does Casas rank in the things you're most excited about for the 2023 Red Sox? Which is probably something we should have a podcast about. So maybe we shouldn't step on the toes. But no, we let's—we can
1: do that next week. But I would say that I'm trying to keep my expectations in line. But when I saw him just throttling balls, the his swing just reminds me of. You're talking about the shirtless swings
0: that he posted no, on Twitter? Just, or? <laughs> just the swing, just okay.
1: the swing in general, just reminds me of. And this is not damning with faint praise. It reminds me of good Cody Bellinger.
0: Mm, I mean, yeah. it
1: just, the, the the absolute roundhouse, unbelievably, unbelievable harnessing of power.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it, from the left side, breathtaking to watch. And I, I trying to keep my expectations in line, but combined with his apparent, uh, having a personality, which for a baseball player can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, having an interesting personality. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to get excited. And that is, not something you hear from me very often.
0: One other thing to note, and maybe this is why he has a personality. um, And it also just is something that makes him a little bit more fun. Uh, There's a picture that, you may have seen floating around Twitter of a, a young little league aged Tristan Casas. Uh, if you, if you haven't seen it, I think if you, if you go on the Pot and lands down account, um, they, they, they recently just tweeted it for some reason or another.
1: He's lost a lot of weight since then.
0: <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. He was a, he was a chubby little kid. <laughs> There's a picture of him. He's in a little league Jersey. I think he's playing for the sugar canes. He's holding up a couple of trophies and yeah, Tristan Costas was the the fat little kid on the little team. It looks like,
1: which is yeah, even more delightful. The big, big humans often started out as big, little humans, as big, little they humans change yeah. the, the bigness change.
0: Yeah. And maybe that's why he has a personality. You know, they, there's, there's, Theories that are always floating around about uh, how um, you know it's it's very rare to see a beautiful comedian because beautiful people don't need to develop the humor skills to attract people. Um, so maybe Tristan Casas has a personality because he wasn't always this this chisel monster slugger.
1: I I see it. Uh, I could. Totally see that. He has some new teammates. He and does indeed. To your point about me calling this this dead zone while the Red Sox have made so many moves, this Hyam Bloom moves in silence. Real Gs move in silence like lasagna per Lil Wayne. This is... High Blooms time. It's because it's the dead
0: zone. Yeah, and all the big going, names off the board. The clearance.
1: The <laughs> the clearance sign is out. This is Spirit yeah. Halloween on
0: November third. <laughs> he's finding the things that were like knocked off the rack and are wedged in and between 50% the walls. Fifty percent off. Fifty <laughs> yeah.
1: percent off until yeah. it closes. He is just
0: the buying thing up the, the display. tag on it.
1: All that stuff. This is his time to shine. And shine, he
0: has. So you're excited about this week, huh?
1: No. No. <laughs> All right. The well, second I realized Adam Duval was available. I figured the Red Sox were gonna sign him. This was yeah. Weeks well, ago. here's
0: the thing. I guess we should start with Duval, because that's the biggest, that's the biggest name here. Um, like this Adam Duval thing could go one of two ways. All right, I mean, and there's always a middle way too, but We have to be entertaining on a podcast. So we're going to say it's one of two ways and no other possible scenarios. Um, Best case scenario. No, I'm I'm sure you've seen as as soon as the signing was announced, even before the signing was announced, when when the rumors started flying, you know, people start putting his spray chart over Fenway Park. Um, I mean, Adam Duvall is a right-handed masher. And it's possible that this guy is a perfect fit for Fenway Park and hits 30, 35 home runs. It really is. I mean, he's not that far off from, from doing that in his career. And defensively, I mean, with, with Kike in short, he's easily the best outfielder the Red Sox have right now. And that's not necessarily damning with faint praise. Like, he is a legitimately good outfielder. And it looks like, I mean, he's, he's barely played center field in his career, Um, he spent, but he, he has done it, you know, down the stretch in the, in the postseason for the Braves in 2021, he was their starting center fielder. He was usually moved to one of the corners late in the games for defensive purposes, but you know, they, they, he was good enough to be the starting center fielder on the world series champs in 2021. And he started last season, um, playing most of the Braves innings in center field and he graded out fine. He, He graded out perfectly fine. He was, I think he played 40 something innings or, or games in center, and he recorded four about four outs above average, um, which obviously so outs above average, that's four outs better than league average of zero, and he only did that in 40 games. So if you, you know, if you want to extrapolate that to a full season to an extra 120, 130 games, if if he's giving you 12 outs above average as a center fielder, um, Trent Grisham, who led the league last year, only had 17. So you're actually looking at like a potential above average center fielder out there. So if that, if it hits that best case scenario, 30, 35 home runs and above average center field defense, Adam, like this has, this legitimately has a chance to be the single best pickup of the offseason. It really does. Like people will talk about it that way. On the other hand, what Red Sox fans aren't really talking about right now is that he is coming off wrist surgery. And you know, any Red Sox fans, certainly Red Sox fans of our age, uh, when they hear about a wrist injury to a hitter, uh, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> okay, I won't. Don't I won't. say it. Okay, I won't. I won't. Um, but no, so I've I, I may put a piece on this on the site soon. Um, I've been looking into. I've been trying to find other hitters who've had this wrist injury. So what happened? He he crashed into the outfield wall chasing after a foul ball last year. Um. And the, the actual injury was like a torn wrist sheath or something like that, which David Ortiz, I think had at one point, David Ortiz did not need surgery for it though. Um, but three people who did need surgery for it were Mark Deschera, Jose Batista, and Nick Johnson. There's only three guys that I can come up with right now. In all three cases, I looked at it. All three of them were kind of slow to return the next season you know both getting on the field and then getting their power stroke back and all three guys lost like around 30 points in their slugging percentage the next season. And an Adam Duval like Adam Duval doesn't walk at all. Adam Duval barely makes contact and strikes out a ton. An Adam Duval who who loses power is a guy who has no major league value. He really is despite the defense. Cuz this the the only things he brings to the table right now at this point in his career and frankly for his entire career are solid to above average outfield defense and power if he doesn't have power he doesn't have a place in this team so there's a scenario where this pickup is a complete and total disaster
1: well i think that that scenario is why they were able to get him at the price they got him for and this is the standard operating procedure of bloom and company and look we've talked about the catcher situation but it's just good roster building because Reese McGuire can help him strengthen that wrist. He can really teach him how to, <laughs> how to get the wrist nice. The Does that strengthen
0: the, strength the wrist or is that, I think, I don't know. That might be a tendonitis. Oh, like, yeah. Like you don't know. There. Right.
1: Um, it's, it's very bloom doctrine in a way that I like. And I, believe i mean i can't i can't argue with the stats you said about people losing the power but
0: everything here they didn't lose it permanently i should note like to share like to share after he got that injury he 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 had a bad year in his first year rebounding from that and then rebounded fine the next year and was out of the baseball the year after that (laughs) but rebounded fine for jose batista the same thing like batista still had a couple of, of excellent vintage Jose Batista years after that surgery. It, they just weren't the first year after that surgery, which you know Duval's only on a one-year deal. So
1: he's only on a one-year deal, but I have to imagine that this is a play for the following season as well, at least laying the ground, like because look if he starts slow, comes on a little stronger, then maybe. There's not a ton of interest from other teams, but the Red Sox are like, okay. And also, Adam.
0: We know where he's going, yeah.
1: We signed you. Like, maybe it's a long-term play. Maybe it's the, maybe it's a total short-term play also. What if he starts out really hot and the Red Sox aren't in it? Flip him right easily. Yeah. And so, he could
0: be. I mean, I should – So, you know, if you look at his numbers last year, he had an absolutely brutal start to the year. I mean, he was awful for the first two months. Um, And then in the last month before he hurt his wrist, uh, let's see. I have him here. All right. So the last 34 games he played last year, he slashed 255, 317, 618 with 10 home runs. The last 34 games he played before he hurt his wrist last year. Well,
1: I have great news for you if you're using second half splits last year justin
0: turner is going to look mighty yeah. fine <laughs> yeah that's true no this look right now i mean they're this red Sox offense actually has a chance to be this really is, really good this is I, this is this is what bloom
1: does to you this yeah, is it this you're is right <laughs> you're
0: right i i i neglected to mention it in in the site admin i forgot about it but you wrote about yoshida this week um, you wrote about the steamer projections. They had and, him at, and ahead.
1: more importantly, I wrote about the article where people were trashing him, which I always, which I yes. felt was so egregious. Given, especially, we're dealing with an unknown here. We're dealing with people known to collude over these things. The actual dollar amount they gave him versus what they were projecting, the percentage wise was high, but the actual payout was is not in baseball terms
0: very much no it's true the the players who come over from japan and korea always come over at a discount always like kode
1: Senga, if he does half of what the people in my dynasty baseball league apparently think he's going to do he'd be he'll be worth twice what the mets signed him for
0: oh yeah for sure and same thing Yoshida. So just to, to put the actual Steamer numbers out there. So Steamer is projecting him to have a 388 on on-base percentage, which would have been the sixth best in all of baseball last year. They're projecting him to have a 372 weighted on-base percentage, which would have been 12th best and would basically identical with one Rafael Devers. Uh, they're predicting 19 home runs for him and uh, WRC+. Plus You know, but according to some people, the single best offensive stat there is, they're giving him a 140, which would have been 18th in all of baseball last year, tied with Carlos Correa. It sounds like
1: he's they're projecting him to walk in and be Michael Brantley, and that's a compliment.
0: Yeah. And, and for, you know, for the things I'll say this too about his, you know, everyone, he is not coming over with a very sterling defensive reputation um but I will say and and look we have <laughs> for, for as little as we know about Mastaki Yoshida's bat we obviously know nothing about his glove I did read one scouting report and this was a scouting report from a Japanese source not not a major league source that said that um his biggest weakness defensively is going back so if you put him in front of the monster for 81 games a year you kind of or maybe, you know, eliminating his biggest weakness and optimizing his defense. If
1: Manny can do it, he can do it. If Manny can do it, he can do
0: it. Yeah. So, this I mean, look, this lineup, if 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 you take the best-case scenario of Duvall, if you take the best-case scenario of Yoshida, if Devers continues to be Devers, if Casas adjusts nicely, is this all of a sudden, like, a really good lineup? Because they weren't bad last year. The problem with last year's team was the pitching. The Red Sox were up to, were up towards the top of the league in many, many offensive categories last year. They, were, I think they led the league in doubles. They were up near the top in slugging. I think they were one or two in on-base percentage. And and obviously, you take Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts was the, the most productive hitter on the Red Sox by a significant chunk last year. You're taking him out. But if Yoshida puts up those numbers, he's pretty close to matching what you get from Xander. And if you are replacing Bobby Dahlbeck and Francie Cordero with Tristan Casas, and he flourishes, and if Kike Hernandez is replacing Jaron Duran, or I guess now Adam Duvall is replacing Jaron Duran, maybe the offense is better to significantly better next year.
1: And I want to be fair to Bloom because I've been hard on Bloom for a long time. No matter what happens with Yoshida, I think it's a great contract. If some, if, for, for, if for whatever reason he can't hack it, it's worth the bet. But I yeah. strongly do not believe that's going to happen.
0: I do want to say one thing since you just said worth the contract and a bet. Um, so I, I, I tweeted out yesterday about – or maybe it was two days ago – about the Duvall signing and basically laying out what I just said, that like this either could be an outstanding pickup or it could be a total disaster – and you know, I immediately got responses saying, well, you know, that's hey, it's a low-risk move, one year for seven million dollars. And that is of course what 99 percent of all baseball fans would say. Like, who cares if he's bad? He's only, he only costs seven million dollars. And again, not to not to be the dead horse. With with what I've talked about before uh, about the language and how we talk about contracts and risk and, and how fans view players, but whatever, might as well play the hits. Um, it's sort of interesting that when we say something is low risk, what we're saying is, well, Adam Duvall could be bad, but it's low risk because it doesn't cost anything. When in reality, and that, that's true, but another way to look at it is, there are only nine positions on the field and you're counting on him to play one of them. Adam Duvall could be bad with the result being that one, our center fielder is awful and the team sucks as a result. That seems pretty risky to me too, but we don't view for like, fans don't view the risk side of, of any given transaction of, Oh, this guy could be bad. It's only risky if he's bad and expensive. Well, that's um, it,
1: but that's because the Red Sox shop in bulk for this type of player. I well, think that
0: yeah, there's... no, that's true. But I think it's I'm saying it like I think it's even bigger. It's this is like a hobby horse of of mine of of how of of how I hate the way that modern fandom works, where we're so concerned about the bottom line, right? So like, if Adam Duval is bad, oh well, it doesn't cost the Red Sox anything. Instead of if Adam Duval is bad. Oh shit. We planned on him being one of our nine everyday starters and we messed up and their team is worse as a result. Like I mean it-
1: I think that's implied. I mean last year is when that shit happened. It's just yeah. that the experiment just didn't produce enough to especially in the rotation to keep the team afloat or even competitive. Mm so time i, I time don't necessarily good. i agree with what you were saying but the red sox approach is so the polar opposite of it where they're going to try to mitigate the risk by having five guys with a 30 percent chance of breaking through and then
0: get, well hoping. i don't know well i don't know necessarily if that i know, don't know who if are those, those five make guys make in the infield like is Raymond tapia one of them <laughs> You want to move to the Raymel Tapia signing? <laughs> I don't
1: want to, but it is on the agenda. I have no interest in talking about either of these
0: guys. But go you, wait, okay, wait. I do actually have a big interest in talking about Jorge Alfaro <laughs> because I think hey. Jorge Jorge Alfaro. I am convinced is going to come north with the Red Sox this spring training. It's we're gonna go. We're gonna start this season with the Reese McGuire Jorge Alfaro catching tandem. Connor Wong is gonna go back to Worcester. I'm completely convinced of it. Um, Jorge Alfaro, I mean, you, you can make a case that he's the best of the three catching options that the Red Sox have right now. This guy, I mean, he is a monster bat, an absolutely monster bat. His exit velocity is, is like above 90th percentile. He's also, with Trevor Story out, he, he might legitimately be the fastest player in the Red Sox. If Raymel Tapia starts the year in the minors, and I don't see a place for him in the major league roster right now, so that seems most likely. Jorge Alfaro may legitimately be the fastest player in the Red Sox, with the biggest power bat, and he has an absolute cannon of an arm. He's not a great receiver, but he has an absolute cannon of an arm. Um, like this guy is a is a toolsy, tantalizing guy, uh, and obviously he's you know he, he fits perfectly to platoon against lefties um, for Reese McGuire. So I think it's more likely than not that he ends up. Is one of the two primary catching options to start the year, not Connor Wong. And I think if that happens, I think you, like he's going to be a massive fan favorite. This is a fun player. He's a fun he's player to watch. Faster
1: than Jaron Duran.
0: Well, okay, fair enough. Yes, he's not faster than <laughs> Jaron Duran. I shouldn't say. Well, I don't expect Jaron Duran to to come north with the Red Sox either. That was the uh, other question. Yes, I don't expect. You no, know, you're. Fa- yes, okay. He is not faster than Jaron Duran, um, but he is faster than just about anyone else on the team. Maybe Bar Story. Who won't be in the picture um so he's toolsy as hell he's fun as hell he plays with flair he's got an attitude i think he had four walk-off hits for the Padres last year which obviously that's not going to carry over but still you know that's a fun guy he just he just won the mvp of the dominican winter series the championship series um so i'm, I'm assuming caribbean series will be starting in a week or two you can catch that on uh Probably catch on MLB TV. Um, they used to put it on MLB Network. I don't know why they stopped doing that. Um, but you can definitely stream it. Uh, I'm I'm excited for him. I think he's I think he could be he could be the most popular backup catcher in Boston since Doug Mirabelli. I'll say that.
1: All that checks out except for me having to be excited about it. <laughs>
0: Come on, I, man. It, it's,
1: it's fine. I would say that. I believe everything you say, and I take it all at face value. However, if you were to look at his slash line, it is not what you'd expect after hearing your spiel. But no, he's that a catcher, and there's way more. There's a catcher, and that is the one position where that well, arm is going to gonna come in very handy well, yes. for the Red Sox. Especially for the Red Sox.
0: I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, and, and, but this is also something that maybe makes him a fun player to watch. Like, he is a crazy crazy free swinger <laughs> and he's not necessarily great at making contact <laughs> which is probably ultimately going to be frustrating um but you know i think it's isn't it kind of fun to watch those guys hit don't you don't you kind of enjoy i mean look i i i love a professional at that as much as the next guy <laughs> um but you know six, seven-pitch at-bats that, that result in a ground ball to second base or even if they result in a walk, you know, that's that's an okay thing to watch. But when you get up there and you watch a guy that's just like, well, this guy's going to swing at three straight pitches no matter where they are, it's a little bit more exciting as a, as a viewer, is it not? Unless you
1: really need them to not strike out.
0: Yeah. If, if the,
1: but. Your point is taken that he's worth noting, but.
0: Uh, and one other thing, too. So, we, I, I, but I, I also
1: agree he's definitely going to, I think him in the McGuire platoon makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and one other thing that we we keep forgetting about or it's not that anyone's forgotten about it, but I don't think nobody's talking about it enough. I don't think we're talking about how drastic these rule changes are going to be next year.
1: I keep forgetting that they exist. Exactly. Everyone
0: keeps forgetting. So, for so uh, he uh, last year, uh, Jorge Alfaro had the second strongest throwing arm of any catcher in baseball. And commensurate with that, the second uh, fastest pop time. So, bases are going to become a major part of the game next year, a major part of the game. And so, stopping stolen bases is going to be important next year and and he's got a much better chance of doing that than reese mcguire and connor wong um and you know for that matter maybe we should talk about raymel tapia a little bit here (laughs) raymel tapia is also a speed guy i mean he's not he's not like he's not like jaron duran level um but he once stole 20 bases in a year and only got caught six times now raymel tapia has no power at all no power whatsoever (laughs) but Depending on how drastic these stolen, these pickoff rules are, right? So in the new pickoff rule, a pitcher can only throw over twice now. And if they throw over a third or fourth time and don't record an out, it's a balk. And on top of that, the bases are bigger, meaning the base paths are shorter. So we, there's a whole potential class of speed guys in baseball right now who, if they get on first, they're stealing every time, every time. And so a player like Raymel Tapia all of a sudden who Raymel Tapia is an excellent contact hitter, excellent contact hitter. Almost never strikes out, has great bat-to-ball skills, but he has no power. But if he can start turning in all uh, turning all of his singles into automatic doubles because he just, you know, dinks some balls out to right field and then immediately steals second, Raymel Tapia is all of a sudden a way more valuable player than he's ever been in his career.
1: I mean, Heimloom is not stupid. Yeah, we'll see. It, 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 no one, but I mean, that what you're saying makes total sense. There's an unknown, not, there are not usually unknowns this big in terms yeah. of how the game is going to be played that we know about. It's not like Rob Manford being like, we're going to choose the balls. Yeah, right. No, this is, this is like the NFL where they, eliminated hitting over the middle. So teams went to these huge passing attacks and linebackers got smaller to follow the passing attacks, but then the whole league got smaller and the Patriots and other teams immediately went big again.
0: Yeah.
1: And so this is just planning. This is something you don't, you know, the NFL changes rules all the time. So, the personnel gets shifted in those directions, and you don't see it with baseball quite like this. You see it when there's a big home run uh, type explosion. Then guys like Duvall would be way more popular. Yeah, this
0: is now all of uh, a sudden getting on getting on first base going forward is going to be much much more important going forward than it has been. And, and obviously, getting a first base is always, always the most important thing in baseball. Um, but whereas, whereas you know, for the past twenty years, where power has been emphasized so much, and contact has been de-emphasized as a result. Now, if you have the slightest bit of speed and you can get on first base, like you're, you're, you're trouble for the opposing team. Guys like Ray Tapia are are all of a sudden going to be in the category of of like the ricky henderson types where it's like you're in scoring position if you're on first that that's going to filter down to guys like raymel tapia guys who were fast but not you know super elite runners
1: do not ever mention raymel tapia on ricky henderson <laughs> again.
0: fair enough the a they're left fielders uh what else? Okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's literally that's the only. <laughs> that's the only thing they have in common. All right,
1: that's probably a wrap on the roster moves. We're going to get into a fun segment. We don't know what we're going to talk about, or how long it's going to go, or where it's going to go. Before that, we're going to take an ad break. Maybe there are ads. Maybe there are not. We'll be back in a second And we're back. We didn't actually go anywhere. There might have been ads. And if so, they will have been in that break. Dan and I have decided that there's not enough Red Sox stuff to talk about. And recently, I expressed my admiration for a novel entitled Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, which should be noted. Won the man Booker Prize for the best English language novel in the world the year it was released. I didn't think you we were actually going to talk about this, we're not, but I'm just saying,
0: is this your topic? Dan,
1: Dan, then got all literary on me and said that I was basically a sellout for reading Saunders's.
0: Not that you were a sellout, it's more that you're basic
1: yeah okay precisely precisely to which in this case absolutely dan said let's do a whole podcast on that we're not doing that that's all the lincoln and the bardo talk you're getting
0: almost certainly. is it all right real real brief real brief george saunders is a genius and and essentially a secular saint uh he's he 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 spent most of his career as, as a, a lesser known name amongst the big name fiction authors. And that's a direct result of Lincoln and the Bardo was his first novel. Prior to that, he spent 20 years just writing short stories, which aren't as commercially profitable. Um, Lincoln and the Bardo is good. It's fine. But his short stories are absolutely revolutionary. narrative—I mean, he's, First of all, he is, he is hilarious is absolutely like laugh out loud you know spit out whatever you're drinking hilarious this this guy could in another life could have been on SNL he's he's been a frequent guest of colbert colbert loves him um so he's been on he's been on colbert's show for years including going back to the colbert report on comedy central um so he is hilarious but <clears throat> what he was particularly genius about was that he invented a a new i mean he didn't invent a new narrative style but he took free direct in course in into a completely new direction and his his absolute best fiction most of which in my opinion is in tenth of december um, utilizes a third person narrator um but one in which you are in that person's head in I won't say you're more in that person's head than ever before, because obviously there's Joyce and Ulysses, and that's, that was done 100 years ago. But it's more that you're in their head and in their language more than any other narrator you've ever experienced. And he absolutely mastered that device. It's all over 10th of December. No other writer can do it. Um, and it's just, it's just fucking fascinating when you read it. And Lincoln and the Bardo just doesn't have any of that. He completely went in another direction with Lincoln and the Bardo. And it's good, but it's something else entirely different.
1: Yeah, it's like the most beautiful and empathetic (laughs) book that also makes you laugh out loud that you've ever read. But sure, who wants that? Sure. 10th of December is at the ex wife's house. I'll grab it next time I'm there. All right, but we decided on. we're just going to talk about whatever. If you want to hear Red Sox talk, maybe we'll sprinkle it in. Maybe my we'll my play. so but my topic nothing.
0: for this actually is going to tie into the Red Sox. I will promise that. And and it's in order to ease people in. It's sports related that will eventually tie into the Sox.
1: Well, why don't you go ahead? I I sort of have a sports related idea, but I'm sort of okay. just ready to go.
0: Um, so yeah, so I'm going to tell you a little bit, Brian Joyner, about the single biggest clown show in all of global professional sports today, which is my beloved Everton football club. Um, I've talked to you about so- – I think uh, by the time we're done with this podcast, I think I'm going to force you into being a soccer fan. <laughs> oh, um, I've
1: been a soccer fan at times, but I also just want to point out when I when I called you a hipster for your Saunders thing, now you're an Everton fan? Okay, sure,
0: sure. Okay, fair enough. Everton are sort of the hipster pick. Um, and, I get, and this story will explain why a little bit. Uh, so last year Everton finished 16th in the Premier League. There are only 20 teams in the Premier League. So 16th is really, really bad. Um, but despite that, last season and the last three months of the season in particular were, I say this completely seriously, one of the absolute most thrilling fan experiences of my life. Right up there with the 2004 ALCS Right up there with the Celtics championship. Right up there with with when my college basketball team went undefeated in conference play and rose to the number six national ranking. Yeah, what um, uh,
1: what college team was that, by the way?
0: George Washington. George I was a junior. we were we were sick when I was there. They, we made the tournament three years in a row when I was a student there. Like we were the number six ranked team in the country uh, when we were juniors. We were we were absolutely we were so goddamn good. The, the program has completely fallen apart since I left. Just um, one quick follow question: What is yeah. George like? What is George like? Stoic, yeah. Yeah. tall, yeah, okay, good drinker.
1: He uh, the, just as an aside to an aside, if you ever see a bust of him and look at Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson needs to play that guy in a movie.
0: Do you think he's so? Not so? Big.
1: He's like the well, the casting is perfect.
0: Yeah, you right, might. I mean, ahead. I'm I'm sure you've seen John Adams, though, right? Yes. So I it it I, I feel like the, the casting choices in John Adams were so perfect for everybody that I don't think I can ever see another fictional fictional representation of the founding fathers. I really can't like Stephen Delane as Thomas Jefferson. I mean, that was that was fucking perfect.
1: I was think that... David Morse was good at being understated, but I'd i take Liam Leon... now, Liam Neeson would be, be a different class of star but if you're going to make a washington biopic right now
0: that'd be mm-hmm. my choice yeah yeah I, yeah i guess i suppose he wouldn't be bad um tom wilkinson has ben franklin too like my god like i i now picture ben franklin as tom wilkinson like he was fucking perfect for that um, wilkinson don't were, miss baby <laughs> what were we talking about everton all right so Uh, Like I said, so they finished in 16th place last year, and it was absolutely one of the most thrilling fan experiences of my life because of European football's promotion and relegation system. Had they finished 18th, they would have been knocked out of the Premier League. Now, that's a really big deal, and that's a really bad thing to happen for any team. Um, But it actually would have been particularly horrible for Everton for a number of reasons so whenever you see one of the 1500 columns that online that compare English Premier League teams to American sports teams um Everton are always 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 called the Mets which is why they're the hipster pick uh you know they're they're a popular team but they are very much clearly the second fiddle in their own city to a much bigger team um and and that's that's a very accurate comparison Except here's the thing: until 1990, Everton weren't the Mets. Everton were the Los Angeles Dodgers. They were an absolute behemoth. They were rich. They still are rich. They had massive support, and they were incredibly successful. They built the first purpose-built soccer stadium in England. Um, they had you know, the the Dixie Dean, the, the sort of the Babe Ruth figure of English soccer, with who's got these sort of completely unassailable records uh, because the game has changed so much when he them from when he set them, uh, he was an Everton player. They won European trophies. They won the league. They were giants of the game. And since 1990, everything's sort of been completely falling apart to them. But the one thing that Everton still had was that they are currently the, the record holders for the most years spent in the top flight of English soccer um, and the most years consecutively, they, they have been in the top flight of English soccer, which is now called the Premier League, but it wasn't always called that. They've been in it for more consecutive years than Manchester United, more than Chelsea, more than Liverpool. They've been there. Um, so this was the last thing that Everton was clinging to. And, and Everton fans have basically spent the last 30 years being like, we're not supposed to be in this position. We're not supposed to be bad. It's our birthright to be good. We just need to get the right management in. We just need to get the right ownership in. We'll get back there. And then last year was holy shit. We're about to lose everything because they were going to go if if they were going to go down to the championship. Um, and 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 keep in mind they still had and still have to this day one of the highest payrolls uh, in the league, which that's a real problem. If you get knocked out of the Premier League, you lose the TV money, and if you are uh, you know if you are tied to a bunch of big money contracts. You're all of a sudden in serious financial trouble, so there was a chance that they could get knocked down, and wouldn't necessarily come back up anytime soon. Uh, it's happened before, so it was a really, really, really big fucking deal that in the second to last game of the season, um, they beat Crystal Palace at home on a on a like 86th minute header that secured their place in the Premier League for the next year. Um, I mean, the fans. Charge the field, and unlike in American sports, where when the fans charge the field, the fan, you know, the players are immediately escorted out. The players just stayed there with them, and they all sort of celebrated and danced and sang for like forty-five minutes straight. Um, there were blue flares everywhere; like it was beautiful. It was like they won the championship by by securing 16th place. Um, so this year, things are even worse. <laughs> they currently are in 19th place. They're actually tied on points with the team that's in 20th place uh, and, and ahead of them only on goal differential. So, again, if you finish 18th, 19th or 20th, um, you are out of there. And and the reason why they got in this position, and this this goes into why they're such a fascinating clown show train wreck of a professional organization. They got there, of course, because of bad ownership. They were bought uh, seven or eight years ago by a guy named Farhad Moshiri, who's an Iranian accountant. Um, you may be wondering, how does an accountant get the billions of dollars required to buy the 19th richest soccer club in the world? Well, he obviously doesn't have that money. Um, but he is personal business partners with a guy named Alexei Uzmanov, who's an his Becky oligarch, who's incredibly close to Vladimir Putin. And essentially, Alexei Uzmanov used to be a minority owner of Arsenal. And the open secret is that he's the guy that wanted to buy Everton, but the Premier League didn't let him because he was too shady of a figure. So Mashiri bought it with Usmanov's money. Um, And for years, even though Usmanov was not officially the owner, he kind of was the de facto owner to the point that, um, you know, up, up until last year, up until the Ukrainian invasion, If you were watching a game at Everton, you you would have seen the stadium blanketed with ads for a company called USM. Brian, have you ever heard of a company called USM? Have you ever bought anything from USM?
1: Well, I can't tell you on the second hand, uh, but no, I have not.
0: No, you have not. That's because it's not a public-facing company that sells any products at all. USM was simply Uzmanov's personal holding company. It's literally just the legal entity that held like his shares in in nickel mines in Kyrgyzstan and things like that. And yet they were the primary public-facing sponsor of Everton for the sole reason that they were using it as a shady way to funnel more money into the club. So he was this de facto owner. He got sanctioned by the U.S. and U.K. government. So Everton lost all of their financial backing. And they now find themselves in 19th place. So they, they lost last week. They lost last week to the team that's chasing them in 20th place, Southampton. Uh, absolutely brutal, horrible home loss. The board of directors was not there because they announced for the game that they had received threats, credible threats of violence. And to prove it, they said that actually in, in, a, in a home game the week before, the CEO was put in a headlock by a fan. So they didn't show up. The, the fans had planned a protest. By the way, in American sports, when when a team sucks and when management's awful, we just we just stop going to the games. Um, in England, they they fucking protest the shit out of management. So they had they had planned to sit in after the game. Uh, the board announced that they couldn't show up because of credible threats and that the CEO had been put in a headlock by a fan two weeks before. Um, all game as they as they just went down the shitter. And and the you know, loss to this team that was chasing them, the camera kept panning to the empty board seats in an otherwise full Goodison Park. Um, and it turns out, as has been announced by Liverpool police, <laughs> subsequently, it seems like there may not have actually been any credible threats. And it seems like the headlock story was completely made up. And now the board is just throwing their own fans under the bus um, And th- at the same week that that story about them potentially lying about threats against their safety was released, another story came out that Usmanov, after being sh- sanctioned by the UK and the US, was still sitting in on meetings and interviews with potential managerial candidates <laughs> last year, uh, because last year when they were in the relegation battle, they obviously hired a new manager to pull them out of it. So apparently he was sitting in on those meetings And telling the managerial candidates that he was the real owner of the team. Um, So this is a complete disaster. And it sucks because I have really, really fallen in love with soccer. And I fall in love with this team. And they're going to go down. And they're not going to come back up for a while. Now, here's the thing I got to tell you, Brian. I decided to become an Everton fan in November 2020. You want to take a guess why I decided then and at that time (laughs) to become an Everton fan?
1: I have a very, very good idea. (laughs) November. where does Everton play, Dan? There you go.
0: It was November 2020. The baseball season had ended. I've talked before about how I don't really follow football. I do follow the NBA, but the NBA was in their COVID break, and they were two months away from starting. So I said, all right, if I'm going to dive in to English soccer, I'm going to do it now. I'm really going to try this. And I chose Everton in November 2020 because Mookie Betts had just won the World Series with the Los Angeles Dodgers and John Henry owns Liverpool Football Club, who are the chief rivals of Everton. So Brian Joyner, the Mookie Betts trade has now completely ruined my fan viewing experience for my two favorite teams. I the, man,
1: the, man, the man can do no wrong.
0: I would have been, if it weren't for the Mookie Betts trade – I would be cheering for Tottenham right now, probably. They're the other hipster pick. Of course
1: they are. They're the, they're the, yours is Everton is a deeper hipster pick. Yes. Tottenham is like the classic hip, hipster yeah. pick.
0: Tottenham and Everton are based, like they're the two, they're the two big teams in England who aren't consistently at the very top of the league, which is why they're the hipster pick. So if you want to, it, you know, if you want to root for a team that you think has a chance of success, but you're not jumping on the bandwagon, you pick one of those two teams. Um, boy, did I pick the wrong one! So, John Henry, you got me, man. You got well, me in Liverpool, two different sports. Liverpool
1: won the uh, Champions League in the interim as well.
0: Yep, they sure did.
1: I, but I have lots of friends who are really into soccer, and the first team. I was attempted to be made a fan of was Arsenal by a friend and it I tried and I still I don't hate them like everyone else does but um, their own fans typically hate them not this year
0: but yeah Yeah. You can't jump on with them now. They are currently, I mean, they are, they're leading the league at the moment. They're still not the betting favorites to win the league because city is so good, um, but they are leading the league. See, if you're going to jump in now, you've, you've lost your arsenal window. You had a chance a couple of years ago when they
1: were. The the Spurs window is always open, but it's just too, it's just too much for me. It's too hipster. The only team that's ever grabbed my imagination. And it's a weird one, especially given how they played was Atletico Madrid Mm. It's like five. This is like five years ago. I still have their jersey, and it,
0: they are like the shithouse team of Europe right now. And, and right. meaning like they play with like loads of shit
1: Yeah, they were even even then they they were the team where Barca and Real were getting five goals a game at peak ish Ronaldo Messi. And then they'd play Atleti and it would be nil-nil or one-nil. Their whole game was they had possession like a quarter of the time. It was all yeah. counterattack. Yeah. And what for whatever reason, this is when my daughter was young and I had one child, so it was just me and the child. So I couldn't ever pick – no British team ever sort of just grabbed me by, by itself. And I just felt like I missed out on the – I've had no compelling reason to pick any British team over the other. Yeah, fair enough. And then Spanish team, Real is out. It's not happening. Fascists, not happening. And Barca, this was just – this was Neymar, Suarez, Messi, Barca. I'm like, okay, I could become a Barca fan. What does that even mean? They're just, they're, you, they were ubiquitous. So I was like, let's, let's try it. Letty. And I just, they had Griezmann and I just, I really liked it uh, from the beginning. And then their kits have these uh, red and white stripes. Yeah. And they're called sometimes called the mattress makers because the reason they have red and white stripes. And I think they took this from FC Bilbao, but this is like a hundred years ago was when they started the cheapest fabric was uh, mattress fabric and it had red and white stripes. So that's why they used that as their Jersey materials, the cheapest stuff they could get. So as a result, they are sometimes from what I understand called the mattress makers. And I still have that Jersey and I still wear it, but I don't, I don't really watch as much. The funny thing you were talking about Everton is um, having gotten really into F1, there's a team called Williams that in the 80s was, they were Williams McLaren and they were a mom and pop shop and they still are. And they dominated F1 and they still exist now, but they are like Everton right now. Mm -hmm. But for a different reason, It's not like an oligarch who thinks he's running a money laundering operation and then just being heavy about it and just ruining the whole thing. This is more the F1 scaled up to the point where a mom and pop team cannot compete with the resources of Mercedes or Ferrari or oddly Red Bull, which... Until this year, Red Bull never made its own engines because Red Bull, which is the dominant team, at least was this year in F1, is an energy drink. It sure is. It is not a car manufacturer. So that's been interesting to learn about how that works. But the way you talked about Everton reminds me a lot of Williams. They're still around, but it's very sad. It's just very... It's any time they have a good driver, that driver is on a the second there's an opening on the top team. They're like a farm team, but they're like, if the Wu were playing alongside the Dodgers, it just, it, it it's rough.
0: If you're still, if, if you're looking for a team, and if you don't want to go England and if you want to be super hipster about it, I've got a pick for you. Lay it on me. Union Berlin who uh, were leading the Bundesliga uh, before the World Cup uh, for a string. They've fallen back into fifth place now. Um, They are super underdogs. But the reason why I think you would like them in particular is that Union Berlin has never been big. They've always been small. Um, Their main rivals, Berliner FC, who were their main rivals throughout the Soviet era, Berliner FC were directly controlled by the Stasi (laughs) Um, That's not to say that every fan of Berliner FC was uh, a Stasi sympathizer. But if you were against the state in East Germany, Union Berlin was your team. And they've really embraced that ethos still to this day. Um, And actually, German clubs in general, and I'll tie this into Red Bull. um, German clubs have this cool thing where it's required by law that the clubs have to be owned at least 50.1% by the fans themselves. So they can never be taken over and destroyed by an oligarch or by a billionaire. The fans have to own the teams. Um, so that's a cool thing about German soccer in general. The exception to that is RB Leipzig, Red Bull Leipzig. I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe they, maybe maybe Germany passed a law after Red Bull bought Leipzig. And turn them into a powerhouse, and so people in Germany hate Red Bull Leipzig because it just goes—it's so—it's so much against the ethos of of the German soccer culture for this corporate-owned team, and they're flourishing. Obviously, they're not as good as Bayern, um, but they are flourishing, and they're regular—you uh, know—they make regular appearances in the Champions League now. And uh, so, if you so if you went with Union Berlin, um, who does have an American on the team, although one who wasn't on the World Cup squad, Jordan P. Fox. Uh, and he's and he was also born and raised in France, Uh, but 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 he's but he's in the American player pool for the US men's national team. Uh, he was one of their leading scorers earlier in the year. Um, so going with Germany in general would be a massive hipster pick, and then going with Uni on Berlin would be just like hipster on top of hipster for you.
1: You sold me. I mean, the the labor stuff sold me. I, I do let's say I'm I was previously partial to, um
0: Dortmund. Oh shit! Sorry, one thing I forgot to mention: this Keaton is a Bayern Munich fan,
1: of so, he is. which so... is just, just the, just the, the worst. Yeah. So Funny. you be a so. Man City fan? Go. Yeah, I know. Be I a Yankees well. fan? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's great. The other team. This is not a hipster pick at all, but I get the sense they're a whole lot of fun to root for is Roma.
0: Hmm. Well, Mourinho is, yes, the Mourinho experience. Yeah, but I um, mean, that,
1: how long? There's a clock on that at all times.
0: Yeah. And they, well, that actually is kind of a hipster pick um, because even though, you know, they're, they're one of the biggest, you know, best supported teams in Italy. And they obviously play in Rome, but they are not one of the most historically successful teams in Italy. Right. So they're, so you still, that actually, Roma, Roma would be like the Tottenham Everton pick of Italy. Basically, it's like you're picking a team that has a chance to be very good, but you're not jumping on a bandwagon. And then there's Juventus, and just the name is amazing. Yes. Yeah. We used uh, to call them Juventus. Juventus. <laughs> I think I used to call them Juventus because I didn't know, because growing up in like the late 90s, you know, you, you like, you read, you, you would maybe come across the names of these soccer teams, but you didn't know how to pronounce them. I definitely called Real Madrid Real Madrid. I definitely called them that, and I think I called Juventus Juventus because I didn't know any better. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was another time. It was another planet. We didn't know what these teams were actually called. You know what the other
1: benefit of Union Berlin is that you can just go to Berlin, which is, a, from what I, I have never been, from yeah, what I understand, I, it's phenomenal, and you then know. you can see the game because you are in Berlin.
0: Yeah, I would say, yeah, I've never been to Germany at all. I think it's probably... Germany might make my top five countries that I haven't been to that I want to visit. Maybe. It'd be like, it would be it, on the it, edge. It would be like if a British fan were picking... this. Actually, this ties
1: into a story. I was in Australia when I was 26 or so, and we went snorkeling, and this Australian guy who was about my age... Was like, yeah, I've always wanted to go to America and see a football game. I'm like, cool. It's like, yeah, I love the Bengals helmets. I want to go to Cincinnati to see a football game. And I was kind of <laughs> like, and this is,
0: you know, the Bengals. This
1: is, we're still talking, and yeah. this is and, cool and
0: also, and also Cincinnati. Yeah, <laughs> you're, and not, was, you're not going to sure, send a tourist you, to Cincinnati, although it is was, like my, one of our most German cities. So and maybe I told him.
1: him. I told him, not a lot of people have that dream. but it would be like a fan picking like i want to go see a packers game do you You do you uh have you ever ever been to cincinnati i've not been to cincinnati i have been to green bay
0: there is there is one great neighborhood in cincinnati and it's 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 both a legitimately great and fun neighborhood to be in but it also has the single best name of any urban neighborhood in america over the rhine that's the name of the neighborhood where do you live? I live. I live in over the Rhine, um, but other than that, Cincinnati. But I, I, the last time I went to Cincinnati, which was like 2017, probably, <laughs> we got we got in a cab at the airport, and uh, we were still living in New York at the time, and so that you know the taxi driver picks us up, and and uh, and they're like, oh, where are you coming from? I'm like, oh, just just flew in from New York, and I immediately got the, oh. Uh, 9-11
1: <laughs> it's always 9-11, 9/11. like oh, a yeah.
0: i was in high school in southeastern massachusetts when it happened and being like there's a lot more to new york than 9-11 i would say but you go to always 9 somewhere yeah.
1: i've actually flown through cincinnati the airports in kentucky if i'm not mistaken right yeah
0: it is you're right yeah uh so,
1: but yeah. i have been to green bay <laughs> Not during football season, during college road trip season mm-hmm. uh, for the scavenger hunt. So uh, you
0: did a know, scavenger hunt that took you oh, to Green that's Bay. That's the
1: one. The one fun thing that the University of Chicago is known for at all is they have a scavenger hunt every really? spring, where the I was a so there's a list you get. It's like four hundred items you get it at like Thursday at five or something by the scavenger hunt committee, which I was on my senior year. So like I got to create the list
0: and within the list, like that movie, uh, that really bad movie. What's it called? Um, Well, the University of Chicago is in
1: general, like a horror movie.
0: Yes. I continue. I'll think of it. It's a really bad teen movie where the guy has to like, uh, do a bunch of like, uh, forget it, never mind, continue. <laughs> uh,
1: so you get this giant list and there will be like wordplay items, there'll be anything you could think of that these, uh, myself notwithstanding, like geniuses decided was funny to get or whatever. But then within that list, There'll be items in, in no discernible order. It's not separated out. You have to figure it out. Items that pertain to a road trip that needs to be completed by the time judging is starts Sunday at like five. It's like a 72 hour thing. And you need to suss out where you need to go and just like hit the road immediately. So I did the road trip as a participant twice. And the first year it went to New Orleans and back again in 72 hours. You got to stop all along the way. How long we does had, that take? We had to go to Ole Miss to do something. We had to go to Memphis to do something. We had to get a password from a waiter in New Orleans. We had to do a bunch of stuff in New Orleans and we came back. Serial numbers of like a napkin holder. And then the second time I did it, we went in a circle that went through Toronto. This is before you needed a passport to go across the thing. So you just go right. So to Toronto and then up through Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is where Bobby Orr is from. I'm sorry. He's from Sudbury, Ontario, but you come back to America, he's from. No,
0: no, he's from, uh, is it Sudbury? It's Sudbury. Um, you go
1: up and around the Great Lakes, basically, and then you come down through Sault Ste. Marie, and one of the items, and then you.
0: Perry Sound. Down. Sorry. Perry Sound. I know. Okay. It was okay. It. okay. Yeah. It's very close. <laughs> Maybe that's in South I, I don't know Canada, but.
1: No, there. you're right. You're right. It is Perry Sound. That, um, But you come down, the Canada heads are screaming at us. They really. Uh, are. You come down through Green Bay, and one of the items was you had to and this was in March or April, it was cold. You had to take a picture of yourself in each of the five Great Lakes. And I was the one that did it. And then I created the road trip my senior year. uh, And we went through Milwaukee to Minneapolis, to Sioux Falls, to Omaha and back. Got very, very drunk the last (laughs) night in Omaha. And it was the night there was a giant, giant White Sox Tigers brawl. Just like unbelievably huge brawl, we were at the bar watching it, and we so we were in shit. people were talking because they're like, "Oh, we just came from Chicago. Like, oh, look at this brawl!" So, yeah,
0: that's was the a sanctioned thing? Yeah, yeah. It this was just a, like a school student
1: organization that exists to run it. Every this thing has
0: been. I don't having, understand how this. Oh, still let me tell exists. you, something. we
1: won the road trip once. We won the scavenger hunt once. Barely. Because we were in a dorm that had like seven houses, but one of the houses decided it wanted to field its own team. Fine. Whatever. One of the items on the scavenger hunt list, not for the road trip, was build a working breeder reactor.
0: I don't know what that means. An
1: atom splitter. Okay. At On the lawn of that Building where the judging was, and this being the University of Chicago, they they managed to do that, and it was worth like the mac. It was like worth ten thousand points, whereas other things would be worth like ten.
0: Or like 100. that seems fair. That's
1: and the fair. only reason they lost, they would have humiliated us because they were the team that um, decided not to be in our group, was that their road trip car broke down and they didn't make it back in time.
0: Mm. Otherwise, they would have won. I think you should still let that team win if they successfully. No, no, because I didn't even know what the word was, and they built it on a lawn.
1: It would be like if Quebec was trying to face off with the rest of Canada, and nobody really liked them, and they didn't want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. The rest of Canada isn't going to be if they win, like say hockey. Oh well, you did really well. Now fuck you. You're better than us. You're not better than us. That's the thing. Your resources. You know, it's just anyhow, it was all a good time. And uh, that was uh, the only fun thing we did in college outside of create the newspaper late at night. Yeah, that does sound fun.
0: Um, I can't believe it still exists in like today's like litigation culture that that's an actual sanctioned activity. I think it blows my mind.
1: I think the best item, and this wasn't mine, that Somebody created, and nobody got, but one of the best items was the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
0: (laughs) That would would be That's great. The
1: the coolest one that happened was uh, there's a Shakespeare professor named named David Bevington who was one of the Shakespeare, one of the, you know, it's the University of Chicago. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He's one of the guys. And one of the... Items was get a tenured professor, and it could have been anyone to read the lyrics to NWA's find them, fuck Him, and flee at the job. Right.
0: Yeah, that I mean, you know,
1: it's... so some people did that, and a lot of people censored the language. Yeah. He did not, and he did, he did it very theatrically.
0: Well, yeah. All I... I
1: remember is he pointed a finger at everyone, and the, I don't remember anything. He just, and he pointed at all of us. He said, All you mark-ass hoes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just remember that. Yeah, um, That doesn't actually sound, like I can't, I, I can't envision a single English professor I ever had in college who wouldn't do that. That one actually sounds pretty easy to me.
1: Do you forget that the university of Chicago, the, there's a 10 inch minimum stick needs to be inserted into your ass uh, <laughs> for you to, for you to be there. Gotcha. And uh, only when you leave, can it be removed? Mm-hmm.
0: So that's um, enough
1: about that.
0: The movie, just real quick, the movie I was thinking of, Dirty Deeds, 2005. Does that ring a bell? With Lacey Shea Bear and Milo Ventimiglia.
1: That is so 2005. It's unbelievable.
0: According to a high school's lore, the Dirty Deeds are a daunting list of dares almost no student has ever completed. To win the student body's respect and get noticed by his crush Meg, portrayed by Lacey Shea Senior Zach is determined to finish the list in the allotted 24 hour period. Pyramid. Period, excuse me. That uh, that got seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: That's wonderful. I think that this was I think this was a good segment. I think that
0: uh, was that our home and home, or do you still have one?
1: I think I think we've covered enough for this I one. I think we probably uh,
0: have, yeah. No, that was fascinating.
1: Yeah, we can uh instead of home and home we can just say, you know, we're going to do a little freestyle. Maybe it won't be a half an hour. I mean, yeah. it usually probably will be, but at the end.
0: How long has time been going on yet? so far? Oh, 80 minutes approaching. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah it's not so bad. No, not bad. Uh,
1: but it is time to get to my enemy of the week, which I'm going to dovetail with my recommendation. Mm,
0: okay. So You're not gonna, I, week- I assumed I assumed you were just going to reach back into someone who you really hated from college for this, but okay.
1: No, but you, we already talked about him plenty. That's I don't great. want to talk about him any more than, than necessary. Uh, it's lazy, Brian, because my recommendation, and I did this for years, and then COVID happened, and I haven't done it for years, and I just started again. And is Look, everyone has their own health and well-being rec- exercise regimen that works for them, their gym, they run, whatever. Mine is rock climbing. Oh, interesting! rock climbing—it's the thing that works for me, and I just haven't done it for many reasons. There was a pandemic. I got divorced. I got fat. Blah 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 blah. Finally, started going again uh, and paying attention to it, and immediately remember why I loved it so much before. And I think I'm back in it for the long haul.
0: So that's my recommendation. Okay, I have I have questions for you. I have several questions for you. Go for it. One. Can a six-year-old do this? Because my wife and I were just trying, we were just like googling ways to occupy our time in the middle of the winter, and she saw like a kid's rock climbing place and suggested it. And I was like, I don't I don't know if our kid can do it. Well, let me obviously, I guess I mean this is designed for kids, it's not what you're doing, but
1: well, this well, but I was a member and I suspended my membership for a while and it kicked back in December and I didn't stop them. And I was like, Oh, maybe it'll force me to go. And it didn't, it was my daughter who's seven and my son who's five who decided on their own. They wanted to go last Saturday. Mm -hmm. And immediately it was like the seal had been broken and I was back. Kids are very good at this. And some kids are incredible at this. Some kids are much better than me. Some kids are just, spider monkeys but they all want to climb we, uh, we they, even we even thought
0: about it, like maybe that's what we should do for his birthday party
1: it's amazing kids we went on a saturday morning. i usually go weekdays around 11 a.m where it's there's nobody there saturday mornings it's going to be packed with kids it's a great kids activity
0: all right so, question number two do yeah. you need to be able to do a pull-up to do this activity because that might be a problem for me. Well, no, there's
1: so I there's a distinction. I do bouldering more than I do rope climbing. The only difference being that the bouldering wall is
0: sufficiently—that's the one with low like enough that you could jump from
1: yeah, that you could jump from the top onto the pad without having to worry about fall. Gotcha. Okay. Where's the rope? You go. To the top of the warehouse that we're in, and then you don't want to jump from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the simplest versions will it's a really nice activity, especially when you're starting or even just really at any time because your progress is so evident from visit to visit that if you you don't know you don't need to do a pull up, but if you just go a few times, you'll be able to do them.
0: Interesting.
1: It's, it's full body strength. For me, the, the reason I love it, the reason it's good for me is that this is the only reason I will stretch. I just know <laughs> that about myself.
0: Stretching is so goddamn hard, isn't it? Like, I, it feels good to do. I know I need to do it. But actually taking the time to stretch is, is like, fucking impossible.
1: For me, the climbing gym is a chicken and egg thing because I need – it's all the same activity because it is, you are a lot of what you're doing is stretching. And, you know, if you're doing the rock climbing correctly, you're moving your weight and using core strength to minimize the amount of pressure you're putting on any one area, uh, to keep things fluid. But for me, The climbing, I climb so that I can loosen up to stretch so that I can stretch to climb. And it just sort of, so I will stretch in between. I try to do a route every like three or four minutes when I'm there, but I'll stop. It's uh, it's just a really, it's a great environment. I recommend it.
0: Okay, question number three, have you ever done this outside or are you just doing the fake American gladiators style rock climbing?
1: So one thing that you'll notice once you start rock climbing is you see anyone holding on to something in a movie. You're like, if you don't do that all the time, you're going to fall immediately. Right. Uh, when I was really into rock climbing before, I did. I didn't go search out outdoor climbing, but if I was on a hike and saw something that was just easy to, you just start think it's like Tetris. Whereas you, if you play a lot of Tetris, you start seeing the Tetris pieces when I was climbing a ton, I'd see a tree and I'm like, Ooh, how do I think? So I like the tree in the front yard I had at the time, I climbed that. And I think, and, uh, you start applying that to different, like kids' playgrounds. You suddenly want to, Oh, I want (laughs)
0: to, I want
1: to get to the top without using the stairs and I want to climb on the outside. So it, uh, it really builds upon itself. And uh, as I was saying, if anyone who tries it and you, if you stick with it through like a month, first thing that's going to happen is your tendons and your forearms are just going to hurt like hell, but that will happen once. It's like uh, growing uh, adult teeth because I, once I went through that one strengthening, I've went, It's been like three years since I've climbed regularly, but it's still I'm still strong enough to do it in my tendons. It just can happen. Sort of like solidify it, and then after that, it's just your muscles that hurt, and they hurt a
0: lot. Does that help your typing and/or longhand writing?
1: It doesn't help my writing in the sense that it makes me very at ease and not anxious.
0: And um, and you need to be anxious. No, I I meant literally physically. Because this is a problem that I'm, I'm having now. I frequently do write longhand, almost never for this site. Um, but if I'm trying to write fiction or something, I frequently do longhand. But I have an awful, awful grip on the pen. And it's like it's getting it's uh, getting bad and st- really starting to hurt. And I'm um, coming to grips uh, with the fact that I actually like need to completely change the way I hold the pen. Or else I'm not going to be able to write for a long time. So I'm wondering like. Does it literally make my hand stronger? For those,
1: oh guys? yes, your hands will. Your hands will be shockingly strong. Interesting. Um, there right. are. I might give the, this a shot. The, you just got to stick with it, but there. So a lot of the, some of the climbs, especially in bouldering, will be uh, your upper body strength. So you're sort of pulling yourself up. Maybe you're inverted. And those might be easier for you, but then there are other ones that'll be close to the wall, won't be inverted, but the hold will be like maybe sometimes like a centimeter. And so your hands won't be strong enough at the start to do them, but then they will gradually you will just grab it. And you realize that you're grabbing like, like something as thin as a, just like a basic wallet. And you're holding on, and you're hold. It's it's great. Your hands will get.
0: You're really good at holding wallets now.
1: Uh, well, no, I lose my wallet all the time, but I'm good <laughs> at holding holds. On the wall. Do you have any recommendations?
0: Uh, I do. I'm going to recommend a movie. Um, I feel like movies are back these days. Is that? I don't know if that's a universal feeling or not, but I feel like for you know for years everyone's just like TV, TV, streaming TV. Um, the t- the TV glut seems to be. It's real bad now. Yeah. It's real bad. Like, I'm at the point where, you know, just to the show of the moment. I don't like, did you watch the first episode of The Last of Us on HBO? I don't have HBO at the moment. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I I watched it last week and I'm like, yeah, sure. It's fine. And, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, well, this is amazing. We are in this for the long haul. For this one, I'm just like, I don't need this in my life. There's just too many. There's just too many. And if the, if the first episode isn't, like, amazing, if the first episode doesn't plainly state and make clear, like, why I need it in my life, I'm just, I don't have the attention span to
1: People say Andor is the best Star Wars product ever created, and I've watched a bunch of that, and I'm just like, I wish I felt that way, guys. I just that... I just don't have it. I just All don't right. have it.
0: That's interesting that you said that, because I did try that. So confession time for me, I've only seen one Star Wars movie. Which time. one? The, the original. Good, that's whatever one I want is. So that's the only one I've ever seen in my life. Um, but I did see, like I, I saw a bunch of people saying, like, Andor's the best show of the year. And so I tried it and I watched the first episode, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm like, it's fine, but I don't need this. And so I kind of feel like I've been I've been more into movies now because it's okay if a movie's not great because you're just sitting down for one night with it anyway. Um, so I've been really watching a ton of movies lately and trying and also trying to I try to watch the best picture nominees every year. That was uh I don't know if um one of the things when when my wife and I had our first kid, that was one of the things I told her that I wanted to do <laughs> going forward because I was so I was so afraid of just becoming totally detached from culture. I don't know if your parents were like this but in like in the 18 years that I lived with my parents, my parents saw three movies, not including like Disney movies that they saw with us. They saw three movies. They saw Titanic. They saw Forrest Gump. And they saw Mr. Holland's Opus. I'm talking like like going to the movie theater. Watching. That's it um my parents were so detached from culture and so when, when we were having a kid i told my wife like i didn't want to do that and and one of our so one of our strategies to avoiding that was we we're gonna be like let's let's make sure we watch the best picture nominees every year uh, which we haven't but mostly because you know you look at the nominees and you're like well i don't need to see that piece of crap um but well, there's twice as many as there used to be and there it's are just- twice as many yeah Um, But we are attempting it this year. So uh, a couple nights ago, I did watch The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Um, That movie is good as shit, if you haven't watched that yet. It is so goddamn good. Nothing happens in it. The stakes are so low. (laughs) Uh, The stakes are, well, the stakes are very high for for one person in particular. And I, I guess I should say, like, nothing happens until something really happens. But the thing that happens only affects, like, this one guy. The stakes are not universal at all. There's only like six people in the whole movie. There's only like two sets in the whole movie, um, but it is so goddamn good. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are they're just they're just, uh, they're just amazing. Every, every scene is gripping because of how good they are. It's funny. It's it's funny. It's strange. Um, definitely give it a watch if you haven't seen it yet.
1: Why would you think that I would like a funny and strange movie <laughs> where we nothing happens on a windswept island yeah, uh, yeah. in the winter? What can't, What made you think I, of all people, would like that? Actually, no, I really want to see that. I actually wanted to see it in the theater, but it was not showing anywhere near yeah. me. I, don't it, I it.
0: suppose it is worth seeing in the theater just because there is a lot of pretty Ireland. Um, but, you know, it's not.
1: But I wanted to do it to make theater. it special, honestly.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I,
1: Seriously, like there's some movies, like I would, I, I haven't seen Avatar, but if I did, no, I? Yeah. I would want to see it in the theater, but not for the same reason. I'd want to see Batchees. I just want to see it because everyone has had your reaction. I mean, I, I, have seen the clip where uh, Colin Farrell is yelling at Brandon Gleason, says,
0: Bear Fervin, it's for Beethoven. And uh, <laughs> you, I do recommend watching it with subtitles. Because those accents are thick as fuck, <laughs> they really, really are. From what I can tell, he's
1: plainly going to win Best Actor at the Academy Awards, right? Uh,
0: I haven't looked at the odds. Is it Farrell or Gleason? Because I'm not even Ferrell. sure which Farrow Fer- as Gleason. So Gleason. Because Farrell be. won the Golden Globe. Yeah. So it, you know. Did he? Yeah. All right. So yes, people- he, I mean, he is in—he is in like every single scene bar one. Um, And carries those and obviously carries the whole movie. So, yeah, I guess if you're in every single scene and the movie is nominated for best picture, then then how are you not the best actor by default? And he has become like
1: really a beloved guy.
0: Um, And this week, he's awesome. I've always been a huge Colin Farrell guy.
1: And he, I don't know, the Golden Glove speech, like he's sober, he's so gracious. And he, so Anna de Armas gave him the award. And he, before his speech, he said, I want to thank you and I want to tell you about this moment in Blonde. It was such an amazing performance. This is his speech.
0: Yeah. And he's and talking he's to talking her she's her. off
1: to the side. And he's just like, I, he's like, I can't thank you enough. And it was yeah. really
0: heartwarming. All right. He's, he's great. And I also love, and he's great. And it's, it's great that he's allowed to be Irish in this movie <laughs> because the one thing, uh, like Colin Farrell, I don't think has ever been good at hiding that accent. And that's been my one problem, whether it's like Phone Booth, which, God, that movie sucked. Um, But Phone Booth or that other movie he did with Al Pacino where he was like a spy, the recruit. You ever see The Recruit? No. Oh, that's actually, you know what? Go watch The Recruit. That's a great like turn. I don't know why that movie kind of got lost. Colin Farrell and Al Pacino in in like a genuinely gripping spy thriller. uh, That's good. But in all those movies. He's so bad at hiding his accent. And every time every time I've ever watched a Colin Farrell movie, I've been like, they should have just added one quick line at the beginning explaining, like, here's here's this guy, Derek. Uh, he's from Ireland, but he's here now. Just so you like, know he what movie does do that, that
1: amazingly? Is National Treasure, where Diane Kruger works at the archives and she's American, and they're like, She starts speaking, and Nicolas Cage's character goes. Pennsylvania, German country. It's like, <laughs> that's it. And that's it. And she's like, yeah. yes. And it's just like, that was it. Said, okay. It's probably not the accent anyway, but at least you yeah. Addressed yeah, it. Yeah.
0: I don't think, I don't think the Amish have German accents anymore,
1: but they I just threw it in do. there as a result. Like we want to hire, we want Diane Kruger. Cause she's a very attractive yeah. person. Let's movie, get her in there. We need to
0: explain. It. That's really funny. I've never seen that movie. That's really funny, and that's what needed to be done in every one of Colin Farrell's movies. See National Treasure. Also,
1: that is it for our free-flowing conversations. All right, we do have we have, have, we, have we have Wait, three we have minutes.
0: Else. We have three minutes to get to ninety minutes.
1: Okay, are you sure you want to stop right here? Yeah. Let those people have that time back. Okay. Reclaim your time. Right. Reclaim your time, people. Soon there will be the the irony of this conversation, and maybe we'll drag it out three minutes, is that the second spring training starts, the smallest things are going to be fodder for the biggest discussions. Mm-hmm. Will they be justified? Probably not. But right now, we wait for that day. Dan, enjoy your beautiful snowy scenery of Boston. Will. Hope you get some soon. Yeah, me too. All right, take care.